0: Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about how Satan works very hard at taking realities which are majestic and glorious and awesome. And he works very hard to make us think that they're just trivial and mundane and like, like nothing. Like, For example, he wants us to think... That the Bible is just a book, just a book, when in fact this is the very Word of God. And when we open it and read it, it will change our hearts, it will give us faith, it will break the power of sin, it will bring glory to Jesus, it will lead us to heaven. This book, it's not just a book. Satan wants us to think that prayer, another example, is just positive thoughts, maybe a religious ritual we might do. When in fact, prayer means we are coming into the very presence of our Creator, God, and because of Jesus' death on the cross, He loves our prayers. He listens to every word of our prayers. He delights to answer our prayers. Prayer is not just positive thoughts or a religious ritual. Satan wants us to think worship. We've we've spent a rich time in worship with song this morning, and he wants us to think worship is just, Singing songs, even though worship opens the heavens and we can behold God in His glory, and He will pour His Spirit out upon us and refresh our hearts, and comfort our hearts, and fill our hearts, and satisfy our hearts. But Satan just wants us to think that worship is singing songs. And Satan does the same thing with church. He works very hard to keep us from seeing what is this here? Grace Church works very hard to make us think this is just people who gather once a week, you know, whatever. Because if he can do that, then we will lose our our passion for the church, our love for the church, our zeal and commitment to the church. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul goes into great detail to tell us what the church is. And it is amazing what Paul says here. I'm very excited to open the scripture up with you today. So let's look at what Paul says, starting in verse 19. I'll read down to verse 22, the end of the chapter. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now let's dig into this passage by asking this First question, why are we no longer strangers and aliens? Crucial that we understand this, and Paul tells us why in verse 19. Read verse 19 again. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we used to be strangers and aliens, and last week we saw what that meant. Verse 12, let me just summarize it for you. Here's what we were. We were Separated from Christ, which means we were dead in sin, separated from Christ, facing God's judgment forever because of our sin. Paul says we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. What that means is, back then, Jews didn't talk to Gentiles. And therefore, Gentiles didn't talk to Jews. Which is why we were, the next thing Paul says, strangers to the covenants of promise. God had promised to send the Messiah. He'd promised that he would change our hearts. He'd promised forgiveness of sins. But all that was kept up in the people of Israel. And if there's no talking back and forth, that makes us strangers. We didn't know about the covenants of promise. So we were dead in sin, separated from Christ, and didn't know about how we could be saved. Which is why, finally, end of verse 12, Paul says, Gentiles back then had no hope and were without God in the world. So that's what it meant, that Gentiles then had been strangers and aliens. But Paul says in verse 19, we are no longer strangers and aliens. How did that happen? Notice the two words at the beginning of verse 19. So then. Underline those two words. Those two words show that the reason we're no longer strangers and aliens is because of what Paul wrote in verse 18. Verse 18 explains how it was that we came to not be strangers and aliens. So let's read verse 18 in the first half of 19 so you'll see why we're no longer strangers and aliens. Verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both, believing Gentiles and believing Jews, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, as a result, in other words... You are no longer strangers and aliens. So the reason we are no longer strangers and aliens is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's all because of Jesus. It's not because we're any better than anybody else. We were dead in sin by nature, children of wrath, facing God's judgment forever, but in great mercy, Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who'd rebelled against him, like us. He purchased faith, for us, He purchased new hearts for us. He changed our hearts. We repented. We put our trust in Him. We were forgiven, reconciled to God, and joined with God's people, no longer strangers and aliens. So, what I want you to feel is the reason this wonderful thing has happened has nothing to do with anything good in us. It's not that we were any better than anyone else, it is only because of God's mercy in Jesus. He gets all the glory for what He's done. That's why we're strangers and aliens. That's why we're no longer strangers and aliens. That's why we're part of the church. And now the rest of our time this morning, as God gives me grace, I want to unfold what it means that we're part of the church, and it is amazing. But but the undercurrent I want to have going through all this is, this is because of Jesus. This is only because of Jesus. This is only because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is not because of us. Are we clear on the foundation? Who is this because of? Absolutely. Okay, so what has Jesus made us to be? Verses 19 through 22. Let me read those again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Here's what you are. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Powerful verses. Now, as I studied these verses, I saw Paul saying there's four things about the church he wants us to get. Four descriptions of the church. First, Paul says we're, Fellow citizens with the saints. Read verse 19 again. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Okay, now, who are the saints? Got to be clear here, because some religions teach that saints are just a few select, especially holy people, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you are trusting Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and as your Savior and as your treasure, then you know what you are? You are a saint. Okay? We've got St. Nigel here. We've got St. Tyler, St. Mary, okay, St. Rochelle. You are saints because you're trusting Jesus Christ. So look around this room here. Everyone here who's trusting Jesus Christ is a saint because saint means holy one. And by Jesus' death on the cross, we are washed clean, we're forgiven for all the guilt of our sin, we're clothed with his perfect righteousness, and we are made perfectly holy in God's sight. By whom? Jesus. Okay, let's try that one again. By whom? Jesus. Okay, so are you a saint if you're trusting Jesus? Yes. Okay, so that's who the saints are. Now, Paul says, because of what Jesus has done, the church, we who are trusting Christ, are fellow citizens. With the saints. What kind of citizenship is he talking about? Some of you are citizens from South Africa we heard today. I know there's some Brazil people. There's Nigeria. There's UK. There's, okay, a lot of different countries represented here. What kind of citizenship is Paul talking about? Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We will see what kind of citizenship Paul is talking about. Here's what he says. But our citizenship, there it is, is in heaven. Yes. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about citizenship in heaven and that's what he means back in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. When Paul says we are fellow citizens with the saints, he's saying that we are fellow citizens of heaven with the saints. Now think about what that means. Imagine, here I am up here and imagine that on my left is a I'm a citizen of the U.S., and imagine that there's a citizen of the U.S. up here who's not a believer, but he's a citizen of the U.S., and over here is a citizen from Nigeria, okay, a believer, all right? And I just want want you just to see the significance of being a citizen of heaven and what this does in terms of our relationships. Think about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. First of all, it means that that citizenship is secure. You are now, by faith in Jesus Christ, you have citizenship in heaven. And the good work that God starts when he saves someone, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you have your citizenship in heaven now because you're trusting Jesus, you will be in heaven because God promises, he covenants with you, that he will keep you faithful and obedient. And when you do stumble, he'll keep you confessing he will you won't be perfect but he's going to keep you on the road all the way through not because we are so disciplined or so spiritual but because he is so gracious and so merciful so your inheritance no your inheritance yes your citizenship is secure okay so now just compare here's citizenship with this person in the u.s okay now that is not quite as secure that's that's going to be over in just a few years right when we both die but here's my, my brother from Nigeria. We share the same citizenship in heaven. We are both going to be there for sure. So it's secure. It's lasting. Okay, once, once you're in heaven with your citizenship, h- how many years does that last for? Ten? Hundred? Hundred thousand million billion trillion? And then you've just gotten started. Okay, so we're talking about a citizenship that lasts forever. And so my U.S. not believing Jesus yet friend here, our citizenship in in the U.S. does not last. With my Nigerian brother, we have a citizenship that lasts forever. Forever I'm going to be with him, worshiping our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are fellow citizens of heaven with the saint, the saint right here. Okay, think of the joy of the citizenship of heaven. I mean, just ponder this. You are going to be in heaven one day. That is more sure than your lunch plans for today, your work plans for Sunday. Okay, you are going to be in heaven through Jesus Christ and what He's done. And you're going to be before your Lord, your Savior, your friend, your God, Jesus Christ, and you're going to see Him face to face. You're going to love him. You're going to worship him. And you, as much joy as you've had in him now in this life, the joy then will be vastly greater. So your citizenship in heaven is a joyful citizenship. Now, compare. Here's my U.S. friend who's not a believer. U.S. citizenship is pretty good, okay? My Nigerian brother, we're citizens of heaven, far more joyful, far more joyful. And, And so... The citizenship in heaven is more bonding than it would be with just somebody I'd meet who was a U.S. citizen. It's more bonding because it's joy, it's forever, it's eternal, it's secure, but it doesn't bond us together in a way that shuns this person because we are citizens of heaven together and then we think about my U.S. not-yet-believing citizen friend and we think, let's go talk to him about Jesus. Let's go rock the gospel with him, okay? Right, So it's it's ascending citizenship also. So here's what I want you to think about. The church isn't just a group of people that get together sometimes for some religious rituals. The church is a group of people who are citizens of heaven. I mean, you pull out that passport, that's like, whoa, that is something. And that's you, and that's the person you're sitting next to, the person you're sitting in front of. In other words, the bonds we have here as citizens of heaven is far more than any other bond there is on earth. This is the strongest bond there is, being citizens of heaven. And by what Jesus has done, we are fellow citizens with all the saints. So do you see what an amazing thing the church is? It's a group of people here on planet earth. Yes, they're citizens of these countries here. That their real citizenship is in heaven. That's an amazing truth. So let that just bond us together, let, us, let that fill us with joy. Let us let that secure our future. Your future is amazing, brother, sister, because of Jesus. Second, Paul says we are members of the household of God. End of verse 19. So then you are no longer. Strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Did you know that God has a household? What is a household? Well, I I looked it up. A household is is a family where all the members live together. Okay, it's just family, living together. And God has a household. He's the father, we're his children, brothers and sisters, it's the household. Now, before you were trusting Jesus, you weren't part of God's household. But the moment you put your trust in Jesus, were for forgiven through his death, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you became a member of God's household. Now, I want you to think about what this means. Imagine that you grew up in a terrible household. You're, you're, you're there, you're, you're growing up in this abusive household with a very neglectful father doesn't love his children, doesn't provide for his children, abuses his children, harms his children and the children themselves hate each other, hurt each other, harm each other don't love and care for each other so imagine that you're you're part of this household but then one day there's a knock on the front door and, and, and you walk up to the front door and you open it and Jesus is standing and he looks at you with love, compassion, care in his eyes. And he, he, he picks you up and he says, you're coming with me. And he takes you out of that household. And he walks down the street. And he walks up into another household. And he puts you in there and it's God's household. And imagine the wonder of here is God the Father who loves you. And cares for you. And provides For you. He plays with you. He listens to you. He delights in you. And and your brothers and sisters, while they're not perfect, right? We're not perfect, but we love each other. We care for each other. We encourage each other. We work together. We cooperate together. We we get to know each other more. So it's it's a whole different household. And again, how did it happen that you went from that abusive household to God's household? It was because of Jesus. But here's what I want you to understand. Because you're trusting Jesus, you're part of the church, and the church is God's household. God is your Father. None of us understands that deeply enough or clearly enough. No matter how many times you've heard it, God is your father. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows what's happening at work this week. He knows your disappointment with your child. He knows your concerns about your health or your finances or your marriage. He knows and he cares and he will work in all these areas. He's your father. And you are here with brothers and sisters. Citizens of heaven were brothers and sisters who love each other and care for each other and know each other. And this is what it means to be part of the church. You have God as your father and we are family together in the deepest possible sense of the word. Now, let me just, a little rabbit trail here. I've heard people say, um, I'm not part of any particular church, I'm just part of the universal church, right? God has believers all around the world, I'm just part of the universal church, so that's, that's what, what my church involvement entails. But, but let me encourage you, biblically, the only way you're part of the universal church is by being part of a local church. That's the only way. Because if you're just part of this universal church, well, where are those people? Well, they're, they're just everywhere. But yeah, well, like, who are you part of a household with? The only way to be part of the universal church is to be part of a local church. Now, what if you're in a city where there is no church? Well, you're there. Pray that God will start one. You are the church. Pray that God will bring people across your path and it'll get started. But the universal church is a true concept. But the way we become part of the universal church is by being part of a local church. Whether that's part of a small church at the labor camp or part of here or part of a thousand-member church someplace else. Do you get that? This is the setting with real people from different backgrounds, especially in Abu Dhabi, different skin colors, races, uh, different classes. But this is the place where real people come together and we love each other because we have God as our Father through Jesus Christ our Savior. We are brothers and sisters and so we can go deep with each other. And I want to urge you Invest in each other's lives. Be the household. God has given this to us. Let's not neglect it. Invest in each other's lives. Invest in relationships. Pray together. Love each other. One of the main ways we do this here at Grace Church is to be part of a home group. Connect up with the home group. Meet weekly. There's men's discipleship groups in the home group. There's women's discipleship groups in the home group. Connect in that way. But be part of God's household with Grace, church, that's what God has given to us in having us be the church. So we are members of the household of God. It's glorious. Third, Paul says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. Read verses 19 and 20 together. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens through Jesus, praise God, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, citizenship in heaven, members of the household of God, God's your father, brothers and sisters all around you, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Just look down. See, there's the foundation. All right? The apostles and the prophets. Now, who are apostles? Apostles were men who had seen Jesus alive after the resurrection. Who Jesus had commissioned to be apostles. And part of that meant that they were specially gifted to write perfect truth from God, which is what the New Testament Scriptures is, written by the apostles. That's who apostles are. Who are prophets? Now, we probably all think that that's Old Testament prophets, and that would be a good guess, but it's not the case. That's what I thought too, until a while back I looked at chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, just a few verses later. Look at what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. He uses the same phrase, but we can tell from these verses that prophets aren't Old Testament prophets. Ephesians 3, 4, and 5. Paul says this. When you read this, what Paul had just written, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul is saying that what he's now teaching about Christ was not made known in the Old Testament, but it has now been revealed to the apostles and prophets. So these prophets are prophesying now. Do you see that? Not Old Testament. The were Old Testament prophets. That's how we have the scripture. They wrote the Old Testament. But what's happened, this is not Old Testament prophets. So, so who are these prophets? What does Paul mean when he says apostles and prophets? This is a little bit of a complicated question. I'm going to share with you my conviction. I'm about 70% sure of this, okay? Do study on your own. I'll just try to be honest when I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that, these old t- that these apostles, the phrase apostles and prophets doesn't refer to two different groups of people. It refers to one group of people, and the reason is that the Greek for Apostles and that word and prophets is the same same words used in Ephesians chapter four verse eleven where Paul talks about prophets and teachers, and everybody agrees that prophets and teachers there is not that there's I'm sorry, pastors and teachers. Okay, back up. Ephesians chapter four verse eleven, Paul talks about pastors and teachers. Same Greek words as we have here in Ephesians two. And everybody agrees that that's not, that there's some who are pastors and some who are teachers. It's one group, pastors who also teach, teachers who also pastor. It's one group. I believe that's what's happening here as well. Paul's talking about the New Testament apostles who function like Old Testament prophets by writing Scripture. New Testament apostles who are gifted by God to receive perfect truth from God and write perfect truth from God, so they function just like Old Testament prophets. Prophets, and they've written the New Testament. Now, whichever way you come out on that question of what apostles and prophets is, the bottom line is the same. This is the foundation of the church. The apostles and the prophets, New Testament, and of course the New Testament calls us to read the Old Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. This is our foundation. This is an amazing foundation for a group of people to have. I mean, just look, here we are, Grace Church, we have the most astonishing foundation in the whole world, the most strong foundation, the most lasting foundation. I mean, what happens if government changes opinion and we need to go meet somewhere else? Oh, the foundation stands. God is good. God is sovereign. This is part of his plan to bring us great good. Lord, we we trust you. Here we go. What happens if you lose your job? Foundation crumbles and goes away? Oh, no, 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 the foundation stands. God is standing before you saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can trust me for this. I'm going to take care of you. Here we go. The foundation stands. You're diagnosed with cancer. Is the foundation gone? No, the foundation stands. God says, I am in sovereign control over every cell of your body. Let's, you pray, ask me to heal you. I can supernaturally heal that cancer just like that. Or if I choose not to, if I choose to allow it to remain, it's going to be to bring you even more joy in you. I will never lift my grace off of you. Trust me. Here we go. The foundation stands no matter what happens. And church, we're standing on this foundation. Think of what a group of people look like who have a foundation like the Word of God, which is unchangeable, which tells us who God is, what His promises are, how He never leaves us or forsakes us. It's awesome. This is our foundation. Now, let me give you a couple implications of that. One implication, your your foundation must be the Bible. Are you built on the Scriptures? You can't say, "Well, well, our church is built on the Scriptures, and since I'm part of the church, that must mean I am also. No, 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 no. The way Grace Church is built upon the foundation of the Scriptures is by each of us learning the Scriptures. You studying the Scriptures. I'm not the foundation of Grace Church, you agreeing with what I say, that's not, that's, that's not a very strong foundation. This is the strong foundation, you studying the Scriptures. Remember how Luke says that the Bereans were even more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they checked the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was right. If you tell me, I'm going to go and see if what you were saying was right this morning, I smile, right? See if what I'm saying is what the Bible's teaching, That's the foundation. Don't believe what you believe just because of what pastors have told you. Believe what you believe because you've seen it and studied it for yourself in the Scriptures. I hope that your pastors have pointed you to the Scriptures and said, look at these verses, that's what our job is, because that's the foundation, not the pastor. Does that make sense? So I know that we can use Christian books and we can use devotionals, but Christian books and devotionals aren't the foundation the bible's the foundation. Grace Church, we need you to be reading and studying the bible on your own. Genesis to Revelation. I know it's daunting, it's a big book. That's all right. God will help you get started. Okay. That's the first implication. Second implication, sermons must teach the bible. Hey, this one's to me, but I want you to hear this because I want you to understand what our convictions are here at Grace Church. We're committed to having every sermon preached at Grace Church be explicitly based upon the scriptures. So that what the pastor is saying who's preaching, the elder is saying who's preaching, you can see exactly where they're they're talking about this verse right here. It's not just like, well, I'm not sure where he's getting this, but it sure sounds good. That's not very helpful. That's a dangerous thing. And so we want the sermons here to be explicitly based on the scriptures, the word of God. Why? Because this is the most loving thing we can do for the flock is to have you learn the Word, be built upon the Word. Do you hear that? Okay, so you, you hold me to that. If I start saying stuff, it's like, that was interesting, but where, where was that in the book? Feel free to ask me that question. Okay, third implication. Your next church must be built upon the Bible. When God calls you to leave Abu Dhabi, go to some other country, back to your home country, What's most important is that you find a church that's built upon the Bible that explicitly teaches the Scriptures. That is the most important thing you do because any church that doesn't have the Bible as its foundation isn't a church. It's not a church because the church is built upon this foundation. Paul tells us that right here. So find a church that's teaching the Bible. Okay. We are a group of people We are fellow citizens with the saints, citizens of heaven. We are the household of God. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And there's one more, fourth. Paul says we are growing into God's dwelling by the Spirit. This is astonishing. Verses 20 and 21. Start with verse 21. In whom, in Christ, the whole structure, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. As we are built upon the Word, and as according to this verse we are joined together relationally, loving each other, investing in each other, caring for each other, serving each other, we will grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Now think of how shocking that would have been to a a Jewish believer reading this letter. Because in the Old Testament, God was building temples made with stones, right? Solomon's temple, the temple after the exile, God is building temples with stones. In the New Testament, God is not building temples with stones any longer. God is building temples made out of people, people like us, a temple. But it's not just a group of people. Church isn't just people. The church is a group of people in whom God is dwelling. And Paul makes that explicit in verse 22. He says, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Grace Church, God wants to build us to be a place where he dwells. It's an amazing thing. Now, notice, we're not that automatically. The moment we become Christians, group people come together, they're not automatically a dwelling place. He wants us to be built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That means this is something we're going to be growing in. And we have had some times here, Friday mornings, we've had times in our home groups where God has come in an unusually powerful way through, during worship, with the Word, as a spiritual gift was brought, and there's been the sense that God's here. Now, God's always here, right? By the Spirit, through Jesus, we love that. But we've had times that's been more keenly experienced and tasted and felt, because we're growing into this. And as we keep growing, we will have more of those times, and deeper of those times, and richer of those times. Now, let me give you some scripture to to kind of stretch your thinking about what this might look like. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What's going on there? I'm not exactly sure, but I'd love to experience that. The glory of the Lord filling this, this room at the Weston, and people not being able to walk in because God's presence is so heavy here. Mm. Second Chronicles 7, verses 1 and 2, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple." And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. If God did that in the Old Testament times, how much more would he do that now during the New Testament times? And one more scripture, Acts 4.31, New Testament. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I'm not sure what that means, but I would, I would, I'd like that. Uh, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So, Grace Church, God wants to grow us to be a dwelling of God, His dwelling in the Spirit, by the Spirit. He wants us, when we gather in our home groups, He wants to come and indwell those times. He wants to bring His presence powerfully, to touch us with His presence, to pour His love into our hearts as we gather Friday mornings, God wants us to be growing into being his dwelling so that he comes with such a sense of his glory so that we're seeing the glory of Jesus. We're beholding Jesus in his glory. We're loving him. We're all worshiping him and sensing his presence together because that will encourage us. That will comfort us. That will strengthen us and that'll, that'll save lost people who are saying, whoa, and that'll bring glory to Jesus Christ when that happens. So how how do we grow into being a dwelling of God? Again, this is what the church is. This is what the church is. We are growing to be a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So how do we grow? Some suggestions. Pray for God to move with power on our gatherings. Pray, God, pour out your Spirit in our home group this week as we meet. Meet us, visit us, show us your glory. God, move Friday morning. Move powerfully through the worship. Help Pastor Steve as he preaches. Come and work through our prayer times afterwards. Pray for God to move with power. Secondly, confess our sin so we don't quench the Spirit. Unconfessed sin grieves the Spirit. And it's important that none of us are perfect here. None of us are sinless here this morning, right now. None of us are. There's always still indwelling sin we're dealing with and our motives, whatever. So we're not talking about perfection here, but there's a huge difference between holding on to some sin that you know is wrong and you're not letting it go and that, that quenches the spirit. Now, I don't want to say don't come. Come and repent, okay? Come and confess. Because confession doesn't mean that you're perfect or that you've overcome it. It just means you're saying, God, help me. I want to be freed from this. And as we come together with broken and confessing hearts, God will move even more with power. So I plead with you. And you know what? Even more important than just for what God's doing here, you need to confess your sin because you need to confess your sin. For you. So that's the main reason. But it does help us as we gather too. Third, forgive each other. Think the best of each other. Clear up unresolved issues. Jan was just reminding me yesterday, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you are, going, are taking your offering to the temple, and you remember that somebody's got something against you, put your offering down, go to them, get it worked out, then bring your offering to the Lord. Isn't offering to the Lord important? Isn't gathering here important? Yes, it is, but for our offering of praise and worship to be worthy of the Lord, we need to be forgiving here. No tensions here. No hurts or grievances here. So let's forgive each other, church. We're a household. So let's all of us, brothers and sisters, be forgiving each other. And then come expectant and hungry to our gatherings. Don't just come thinking, well, I'm, you know, we'll sing some songs, I'll hear a sermon, and then, and then I'm going to go do this and this and this. That may be the case, but come expectant. God, meet me today. Pour out your Spirit upon me today. Show me your glory through worship. Convict me of whatever sin I need through the sermon. Encourage my heart through your word. Come and show me who you are and your beauty and your majesty. Come and move with a powerful way. Be like Jacob is saying, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And as we come expectant, we will be growing to be a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Share spiritual gifts as God leads you. Listen, one short spiritual gift from one person could open up the heavens. And God just moves upon the body. And then earnestly worship, pray, listen, and love while you're you're here. Be earnest. And if you're you're not feeling it, if you're being distracted, say, God, I'm not feeling it. I'm being distracted. Help me. We're not here to pretend, but it's God, help me. Move. And he will. Okay, so do you see what the church is? We are fellow citizens of heaven with all the saints. We are the household of God. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we are being built into a dwelling of God. That's the church. That's us. And and what I want you walking away with thinking is, God, you are amazing. We were aliens and sojourners cut off from Christ, facing judgment forever. And you've brought us to be part of the church. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. Let's have that in our hearts, and Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to press in relationally, hunger for you, studying your word, being the church you've called us to be. Now, let's stand. I want to pray this over us. And then we're going to sing greater than it all. And uh, I want to pray that, that as we sing greater than it all, that God comes. And that we see and sense him even more dwelling in our midst as we're worshiping him. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray, God, for your power to, to come upon each of us. I pray for those of us who have been deceived by Satan into thinking church is just kind of a oh, kind of mundane, not that important. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this passage now to, to lift the veil so we see the wonder of what your church is. Oh, we praise you for what you've made the church to be, and that we're part of it by Jesus' grace and his death alone. Lord, thank you. And Lord, I pray that we here at Grace Church, Lord, grow us to be the church you want us to be, I pray. And Lord, we want to worship you now. We want to worship you from from our hearts because you are greater than it all. And so, Lord, I pray that as we're worshiping you now, would you come in and dwell in our midst even more. Touch hearts through this song. Show us your glory through the the words of this song. Convict of sin through this song. Strengthen our faith through this song. Lord, dwell in our midst more, I pray, as we worship you. In Jesus' name.